Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Should you run based on effort, pace, or heart rate? There are many ways that you can gauge your effort level on a run. With all of these gadgets around now, it seems like data is endless. We're bombarded with cadence, heart rate, pace, pace per mile, pace per lap, all of these things. Um, And sometimes looking at stride length and cadence and pace, it can just be really overwhelming and we forget how to tune into how we're actually feeling, how is our breathing, how does our body feel going certain paces. The most important variable is really how you are feeling. How come sometimes on an easy run, your heart rate is sky high? We are going to dive deep into the different variables that come into play when you are running. And we're also going to talk about what sort of data points you should be looking at when you're assessing your runs. Um, But again, a lot of these factors, like when your heart rate goes super sky high in the middle of an easy run, um, we're just going to kind of talk about maybe why that happens and what you should do if that happens to you in the middle of the run. Because these are things that will pop up um, in athlete training logs and you know people ask these sort of questions. So we just wanted to address a lot of the common scenario situations that pop up when athletes are looking at the data behind their easy runs. And we're also going to talk about kind of our philosophy as to how slow you should go, um, how you can figure out your paces for an easy day. And we also are going to talk about how you can actually start enjoying your runs instead of focusing too much on the data portion. So I have with me today Jason Phillippe, who is a coach here at Run for PRs. He uh, has a decade of coaching experience um, working at the college, high school, middle school level. He's and he has been, you know, running for 20 years himself. So he started running before, you know, Garmin was really big or, you know, before people had GPS watches. I mean, even if you just go back 10 years ago, there just were not a lot of GPS watches that were being used by athletes. Um, they really started to become common probably in, you know, 2014, 2015 is when they started to really pick up the usage. Um, and even before that, it was just, you know, a Timex watch. People would go out there with just a regular stopwatch. So we're going to talk a little bit about his experience um, on that side of things and maybe just how he coached at the high school and college level, um, focusing less on that GPS Garmin data portion of things. And then um, now with the coaching that's available now, everything that we do is focused basically on your Garmin stats and on um, the data that your watch is providing us. So it's really been like a shift of a paradigm 
um, over the last couple of years as technology has advanced. And so there's a lot of benefits to having all that data. Um, you can work with a coach online. It connects with all of these really cool training apps that you know, dissect everything about your run. But at the same time, um, there's that analysis paralysis portion of looking at the data, right? So you don't want to like overanalyze and over obsess with it. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the things we look at and maybe just ways to, you know, kind of relax a little bit and get back to enjoying your run. So Jason, tell me a little bit about how you started training. Um, like, did you wear a watch? Like bring us back to whatever year it was and how it looked like, um, at the level that you started at. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I obviously started running as a young high school student or middle school student, but at that time, you know, I think I only wore a watch maybe during races. Um, You know, there's clocks and all that at the start finish line. So it wasn't that necessary. Um, But I do remember going out for runs, you know, even, even when I was getting to be close to college age, I'd go out for runs without a watch, just go off a feel some days. Um, So I couldn't even tell you how long I was gone for unless I looked at the clock um, or maybe how many miles I ran you know, I have a pretty good understanding of routes around the neighborhood and stuff. So I could, I could estimate, but as far as getting exact, you know, I had no idea. And, you know, it just kind of reminds me of back then we, we didn't put a lot of, um, we, we didn't overthink things in terms of like easy runs, paces, heart rate, any of that. It was just go off a field, take the easy days easy. And then, um, for your workout days, that's where we're going to, you know, either go to a track or go to a, a area that we have something measured so that way we kind of know and then we just wear our watch and we can time it and get the get the recording. So, you know, in high school, I know we do a lot of like 1K repeats. That was kind of our go-to. Um, in college, we would do everything, but the coach would always bring a wheel so that we'd kind of measure out um, how far each stretch was. And then we'd, again, we'd just wear like a Timex watch. And sometimes not every runner had that. We'd group up in a small groups and just we would try to make sure that one runner in each group had a watch so that we could kind of gauge how fast we were coming through. And then we could make adjustments, like if we did the first one way too fast or way too slow. So coaches also stood there and told us as we came through. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so different now with, with Garmin's and everything. And I know I coach post-collegiately um, high school teams and a lot of the kids have already had Garmin, so I was surprised. And uh it's been cool to watch it evolve, but, you know, I do kind of miss the days of just not documenting everything, not worrying so much about pace and just going more off a of feel. Yeah, I mean, I'd venture to say most people listening probably don't even really remember a time before garments, right? I mean, a lot of people started running um, after they became so prevalent, and now it's like you can't get away from it, right? So everyone's on Strava. Everyone can see everyone's data, uh, but back kind of when you were – First starting out and even, even you know, 10 years ago, uh, it really wasn't a, a thing, right? So people didn't have um, GPS watches. And I think when it really started to become more of a commonplace is a lot of these um, app companies on the smartphone. So when smartphones came out, you had that ability to um, have, you know, your cellular data be able to track you on a run. And so there were a lot of these like free apps you could get on your phone, um, kind of like Runkeeper, uh, map my run, all these things. And I, you know, when I first started running in 
really like 2009, like, like you did, I would just look at, you know, the microwave on the timer and just mm-hmm. be like, okay, it's 909. I'm going out for my run. And I come back at like 939 and I'd be like, okay, I went on a 30 minute run. Um, I didn't really think much of it other than that. I really, like you said, you don't really know your distance. And Mm -hmm. back then it didn't really matter. I mean, you, you probably had like a rough ballpark and if you really wanted to, of course you could go and measure it. Um, so there's geo distance was one thing that I used to use to measure it. Um, you could go out and drive it, right. If you were really curious. And sometimes I think those are things that you probably used to do. Um, but even just having like a regular Timex watch, um, I know you ran marathons and half marathons before you had a GPS. So tell me a little bit about, you know, just the training in general, like how could you actually train for a race without, um, knowing the paces that you're running, especially at a competitive level. So, I mean, you weren't just like running to finish. I mean, you were running for a very specific time and I thought that it was really interesting how like when I first met you, you were training for Chicago, 2012. You did not have a GPS watch. You had no idea what pace you were going on any of your runs, but yet you said very confidently you were going after 245 marathon. And I was like, well, how does he really know, you know, what pace he's even running out there? Um, and you went on like a 20 mile run with some of your friends. Um, and you did, you had absolutely no idea how far you actually ran and you didn't have a GPS. None of you did. You just went out and you said you ran for like two hours and 20 minutes or however long it was. And you just assume, yeah, probably 20 miles. And you, you weren't like nervous that it maybe you were going really slow or anything like that. So how did you know what pace you were going? Um, and like, what, what were like the things that you did back then? Um, just to know like what shape you were in. Cause it was so exact. It's like, you didn't even need the GPS watch to know what shape you were in. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of good questions. I, I think back to probably around the time I was graduating college, I would, I would start, uh, running, running journal or diary on Nike, the Nike app or whatever, Nike running, I think it was called at the time. And it was online and, you know, I'd at least estimate based on how long I was gone, like how many miles I thought I ran. So you could go back and you could look kind of like you look on Garmin and you can kind of see your mileage, your weekly patterns, your monthly patterns. And pretty soon it was your yearly patterns. And I kind of knew, you know, the first year out of college, I trained um, somewhat. I trained for a a marathon that I didn't get to do because I got hurt after I ran a 20 mile race. Um, and then, so I knew kind of the next year, uh, the fitness I was in based on the training. And then the following year, I think is when I met you and you were talking about that year as I'm heading into Chicago. So that was kind of my third year or summer rather of training for, you know, marathons with my Timex watch. And yeah, the, the real, the thing is you don't always know what pace you were going. Um, you just kind of, I mean, I could tell you probably ballpark, obviously I'm always probably running between seven and eight minute pace, um, for easy runs. Um, just kind of going off a of feel just, that's kind of been what, what I've been doing, you know, ever since college probably. So, um, but yeah, the warmer days, you might be a little bit slower and obviously the cooler days where you're feeling good, you might get a little closer to that seven minute pace range or even under. Um, but as far as like checking, you know, checking actual workouts and timing those, um, you really don't have a clue unless you went to a track, um, you know, you basically are going off effort at that point and thinking about like doing a tempo. It would always just be like a time-based tempo because you don't know how far a mile 
is or a three mile stretch or whatever, um, unless you measure it out ahead of time. So I did live near the lakes in Minneapolis. So I kind of knew like, you know, the one lake was a 5k perfect. The other lake is three miles. So you basically start to learn that. Um, and you can measure routes ahead of time online using like Google maps. So I did that for a few areas. So I knew, but other than that, it was just going off a time base and just really effort. I knew that like a tempo should be, you know, about like 80% effort, and then I would still go to the track every now and then for workouts where I would do like, you know, mile repeats or cut down ladder and that sort of thing. And that's where you'd get an idea of the actual fitness that you're in. Um, but, you know, I never really relied too much on that. I just kind of went off of coming out of college. I knew what my 5K time was on the road that year. And then I ran a half, um, you know, in like 113. So I kind of knew like what I should be able to run in a marathon. And I think that's how I was able to predict that 245 time. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you describing uh, how you would train because you're just like, I kind of knew how to push it. I kind of knew like the effort. And so like the biggest thing that I'm hearing is like, it was all about effort for you. So you had trained, you know, in middle school, high school and college um, with a team. And so, you know, the coaches before you had measured out uh, workout areas and, and had you do all of these, you know, intervals or you did track workouts or you ran races. Um, and so you kind of got the practice of different speeds, right? So you knew race speed, you knew, you know, fast track intervals, and you kind of knew what a tempo mm-hmm. pace should feel like. And so you knew that because, you know, you, you trained with a group and it kind of got ingrained into your mind. Um, but I think for people who get into the sport, maybe a little bit later, they don't have that privilege of going to like a group setting and learning, um, like the eight year path that you did to get into, okay, this is what a threshold run feels like. And so it's really easy for someone like you to be like, well, you know, I just kind of would go out and run, you know, the lakes off of feel. I would do like, you know, a tempo. I would do Lake Calhoun. I knew it was 3.1 miles and I would just do tempo effort. Um, you didn't need mm-hmm. to look down to see what pace you were going because you knew from your eight years of running experience, doing track workouts, all of those things, what that pace should feel like. Um, so I think it's, it was almost maybe like a barrier to get into the sport for a while because it's like, think about it. <clears throat> if you didn't have any sort of way to measure your pacing or anything, it's hard to actually follow a training plan and get to the level of endurance of like you, someone who has eight years of running experience in high school and college. And so maybe, you know, it's opened the door for more people to get into the sport because they're able to look at data and follow training plans. So there's definitely um, like a lot of benefits, I think, to looking at Garmin's because there's a lot of people that we've coached who come in and they, they don't even have the ability to run one mile. Um, and we work them all the way up to running a marathon. And we do that all virtually, basically by telling them what paces to run. So there's definitely like a benefit there of assessing fitness and learning what paces you should run. But I think there becomes a point in time where um, there can be roadblocks that happen with obsessing over paces. So of course there's benefits. Um, we're not like shaming the GPS watch or anything by any means, but I think we're going to get into this, um, pocket of the pace obsession that can happen in maybe someone that's a little bit more experienced like yourself, or even like a beginner intermediate can, um, latch onto these same, like almost obsessive, 
uh, pacing things. So tell me about when you first got a GPS watch and kind of like what your experience was the first year versus, you know, year four. Like, did you see an increase in performance followed by a decrease? Um, What was it like for you? Yeah, I think at first, you know, the biggest change I saw was I, it just kind of motivated me to, to go a little bit further to make sure I rounded up in my miles, just because I, I'm, I'm very, I, I like organization. I like things to be like even number or whole number. So I didn't want to stop at like 4.86 or whatever. I wanted to go to five. So that was the first change I noticed right away. I would always, always run like the even number. I, I would land on a half mile every now and then, like I'd run like five and a half, but um other than that, pace-wise, I never really, you know, even with Garmin, I never really cared too much about my easy pace. As long as it's, you know, between that, like, 6.45 and 8, I'm usually pretty fine with it. Um, you know, I do, I have done runs. Like, this morning, I ran, like, 8.05 pace or 8.07 pace, and I was fine with it. Um, so, it's, it's, uh, I never really worry too much about, like, the pace. I'm not glancing down um, throughout my run. I might look at it when it vibrates at the mile mark or whatever just to see, but, um, once I got into doing some workouts, so that's where I started to notice, like, you kind of rely a little bit on that and you want to like see a certain number, right? So I'd look down and if I didn't see that sub six, I wanted to push it more during like a tempo. So that's kind of where, you know, you could argue that that has some good benefits, right? Like it's going to help you maybe challenge yourself, but also you could, you could, it could also, um, force you into training too hard in, in your workouts. And obviously we know that, that that can be detrimental to your training in the long run and as far as feeling good come race day. So those are kind of the main changes, I, I guess I would say I noticed right off the bat here in the first few years um, when I got my first GPS watch. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really relatable. Um, I was laughing because so many people, uh, no one just like ends their run. I mean, and if they do, it's almost like funny, like, oh, they just don't care, you know, Mm -hmm. like 6.23 miles or something just random, right? Like no one really ends their run on that. It seems like everyone likes those round numbers. And it's so interesting because it's all just because the watch, right? It's the watch beeps and the watch is kind of like (laughs) telling you, okay, now you can be done once you you hit that round number, um, all those things. And so it doesn't really seem like a big deal, right? It's kind of funny. It's a little silly. Like what's an extra 0.2, 0.5, 0.7, whatever. Um, But, you know, if you really think about it long term, right? over time, like the little things really do add up. You know, they, they say that with everything in life, right? Like just doing the little things here and there, like, uh, make sure you eat your vegetables or, you know, stretching after your run or foam rolling. Um, they're very small things, but when done consistently over a very long period of time or not done consistently over a long period of time, they can have effects on you. Um, so, what I see happen a lot is obviously the rounding up. Um, that could be a huge shift. Like if, if you started running uh, more or maybe less miles because of that, or you know you you're just not training the same way that you used to. You're making a change, but you're not making a change that's conscious, right? You're making a change that's revolving around. Um, almost a little bit of like an OCD, like, oh, I got to get hit this number. Um, and it really has nothing at all to do with your performance or your progress or anything like that. It's just like, well, I don't like to end on like 5.9, you know? Um, and so then you get kind of caught up um, in, in the number that your watch is saying, right? Like just those little things, like why does it matter 
if you stab your watch at 5.9 verse 6. You know what I mean? And then you have to wonder, like, who's in the driver's seat here, right? Like, is it my watch or am I? Um, And then just, I think that mentality of, like, the watch dictating when your run should be over, that just, like, almost gives the watch so much power. And so then when you are in a workout, like you were saying, um, and you're feeling great, you're cruising, and you just, you look down because you want to get some positive feedback from little old Garmin, And you're like, I'm for sure going 558 pace. And it says you're going like 602. You might have been working at the exact zone that you needed to work in. Um, You maybe were going up a slight incline. There could be so many reasons why, you know, your pace that you thought you were running five seconds per mile slower than what you were. Um, And it didn't really matter because maybe your body can dial into threshold better than your watch can tell you, right? So there's so many variables that dictate what your threshold is right so we're not running these workouts in a vacuum um the heat uh the incline you know what sort of train you're running on um and even the gps sometimes is it lags right so you could be in a stretch in the woods where it's not getting a good signal and it's telling you you're going 630 pace when you're really actually going like 540 Mm -hmm. um and so these things are technology flaws right so when your gps isn't telling you the correct pace that you're running but then you're changing your effort based on feedback from it those can be some really dicey situations where you're you're using arbitrary numbers and feedback that don't matter to control how you're executing a workout um and that's where things can can slide south because if you're not tuning into your body and saying how does this feel is this race effort? Is this how I want it to feel? And instead you're looking at your watch like, oh, what? I feel like I'm running this pace and it's telling me a different pace. And then you're speeding up and then you bomb a workout or you're slowing down and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Um, You're not allowing your body and your brain to build like the connection that it needs to and to understand how to pace based on um, effort and to really trust yourself. You're trusting a technological device more than your body um so I guess have you ever had situations where you know you've kind of like maybe bonked on a workout or a race because of the GPS I mean if you look back and you go yeah I was a little bit too caught up in the numbers um for whatever race uh where if I would have just not have looked at my watch it would have been a better performance yeah, um, there's definitely been a few over the years. I've, I think about some races that start in downtown Minneapolis and with all the, the tall buildings there, your watch sometimes gets a little gets a little off. I know one year it said I came through the 5K like 450-something, and I just knew that was too fast. And so, you know, I didn't panic or anything. I, You know, that was enough for where I knew like, okay, this is not right, but I feel better than, than I would if I went out at that pace. So this is a good thing. So there are times like that where you can learn from it, but I definitely – yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. I've been in workouts before where, you know, you, you think you're going a certain pace and then it's way off and um, you can't let that derail you at all. And I really like what you said about like the mind-body connection because I think that's so important with just going off of that effort. Um, and the other thing too is like, I know if you look down at your watch, you know, this kind of goes back to training in the right zone, getting, getting the purpose out of each workout. Um, I am 
I'm a sucker for running negative splits, right? So I always want to try to like do better throughout the workout. So maybe sometimes that's not actually good that I'm continuing to like push down further than I should. And so I might, you know, maybe, maybe I should just stay, stay more steady on the, on the three mile tempo, but I like to progress. So, um, sometimes I worry, like maybe the watch affects me in that way. Like, I feel like I need to run five seconds faster each mile. Um, whereas it'd be, I'd be actually probably getting more benefit if I just like stayed super consistent or even, you know, even running like three seconds slower, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're going out and running a three mile tempo and you run 602, 605, 607, like that's, that's really solid. Like that could be pretty dang even, especially if you have wind and, and elevation changes and stuff like that. So just something else to kind of think about. No, I think that's huge. And, you know, when we first got the devices, I don't think it was as big of a deal because I think it was more private data. So you could have a workout where, you know, maybe your splits are a little over, you know, you had 607, 615, 620, whatever. But you're like, oh, it's headwind. I don't care, whatever. Um, Because no one was going to see it. It was like private. It was your training. Um, It wasn't publicized, All all those things. But now... Woo! Now you got like Strava, Instagram, like fate, like I don't know. People are posting their runs everywhere. Um, but I think Strava in particular has become very, very largely used. And there's good and there's bad to that. And I think the bad that we're talking about is okay, well, you're doing a workout, right? And you want it to make it look like you can negative split. And so you, why who who cares? well, you want it to look good on Strava or you want people to know like, yeah, I can finish this fast. I don't have to like, you know, just slow down a little bit. When in reality, your body maybe on the run is saying, hey, like, I think you're in the right zone right now. We don't need to progress this next mile down even faster. The same could be said if you do like an eight by 800 meter workout, right? Let's say like the first two reps, you're right on pace. And then all of a sudden you like whip out one that's a little bit too fast. And then it's like, oops, I'm committed, right? Like I don't want to look like I'm slowing down. Um, And there's just a lot of like, I think mental things that go into people looking at your training outside of yourself and your coach. Um, Just like that whole, like wanting to impress people or wanting numbers to look very round Um, because people do click into other people's workouts. And that wasn't a thing, you know, five years ago. So I think just being aware and being conscious of, okay, like, am I, when you're in the workout, like, am I doing this correctly? Am I executing correctly? Am I listening to my body? Am I working in the correct zones or Am I being, you know, a slave to this watch and trying to hit um, certain certain splits, even though I should really just dial back a little bit? Because I think a lot of people they know that they they know what paces should feel like and they know what workout should feel like, right? When you go out and do like ten by four hundred meters, you know, like the effort level there should be about you know like five k race pace a little faster. Um, so if you're feeling like you know. You, you have to be committed to running them in a certain pace. Like for me, when I go out and do 400s, I'm always like, oh, I really want to do 90 seconds because it's like an even, it, they all have to be under 90. When in reality, it's like I could have a few in, in the 90s, but I'm like, I like to see the number under 90. And it's just so, it's so random. And again, it's a slave to that pace. It's a slave to the watch. Um, so I think moving away from that mindset and just, going more off effort and um, not maybe looking at the data while you're in the workout. I always like to go off of, okay, let's just mind and body do the workout and we'll hit the lap button, whatever. 
but we don't need to be staring at the watch during the workout. We don't need to be, you know, looking down for feedback. Um, and we definitely don't need to be beating ourselves up if you felt really good during a rep and then you look down and you realize you like didn't run as fast as you thought you did for a certain rep because it's more about like how you're feeling and like you could have a mile repeat that's slower than all the rest of them but your body knows what it's doing right and and maybe it needed to go a little bit slower on that third one so that you could you know go faster on the fourth one um and I I just think learning to kind of trust your body is really important for a lot of reasons um, but when you, when you race, for example, how many times during a race do you like really look at your watch or do you find that it's like not helpful? Cause I personally think when I race, look at my watch is probably like the worst possible thing I could do. Um, unless it's like the first 400 meters when I'm trying not to like go out too fast. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's good to have that speed limit, but I think like mid race, when I glance down, it's just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't get a lot of positive feedback from that because I think, when I'm racing, I just need to be on with my mind, focusing on the people who are in front of me, focusing on effort and not, you know, being so caught up in what pace I'm running. Because if you're running slower than you think you are, you're going to beat yourself up, negative thoughts creep up. And if you're running faster than you think you should, you start to maybe doubt yourself, right? So I, I never get really a great positive vibe from checking in my pace. It's never something that's like, oh, yay, like, this is helping me out so much. Yeah, I think for me, I think the the biggest benefit I'm getting is actually during races with this because I, like like you said, using it to make sure you don't exceed a certain speed early on is very beneficial. Um, Or even if you make the mistake of coming through the first, like, I'm thinking about the 5K just because I've done so many 5Ks, right? And it's a short enough race where you're going to get you know, you're going to get those checkpoints at mile one, two, and three. So um, your watch is going to go off first mile. And typically I might, that might be the first time I check the watch. Otherwise I might check it, like you said, in the first like 200 to 400, just to make sure I'm not going out too fast. Um, Cause some races, you know, with a, with a lot of people up front and they go out so fast, you just want to make sure you don't make the mistake and go out that fast. But um, typically then I will not check it again from like mile one till two. And I may not even check it at two if I, you know, if there's like a clock there on the course, I can just do the math in my head. Um, and then that might be the last time I check it, honestly, at mile two, um, depending on the race. If there's a race where I really am gung-ho about trying to get a certain time, um, I might just look at it as I'm coming up to like, you know, 2.8 or something just to see like how many minutes I am from the finish. And I do the math in my head and that can actually help motivate me to try to make sure I sustain a certain pace so I can achieve that time. So that's where I think the watch helps me and kind of knowing exactly like where I am on the course at a given moment um, towards the very end of the race. So that way I kind of know like this is, you know, the, this is where I need to kind of start my, you know, what, when we talk about starting our kick, this is where I start really picking up the pace and, and digging into that like uncomfortable zone. Um, cause it's going to be worth it if you can achieve your time goal that you want. Um, but again, I've done a lot of races recently where I don't have like a huge time goal. So it's not super imperative that I check the watch throughout to find out my pace. Um, it's more just kind of going off, going off that effort. Um, but I definitely am finding, finding it more useful for races, um, for workouts, not, not as much. I think that it's better to maybe listen to, you know, the feedback, especially cause you're doing multiple uh, repeats. Yeah, there's so many different ways that we use these watches, right? So it could be a workout day, easy run day, and race day. And some people find them beneficial 
in certain situations over other situations, right? Um, so I guess the biggest thing here is thinking about what is the Garmin providing you with? And I think what it's providing you with that you didn't get before or that you can't get with a stopwatch is your, your pace, um, obviously, and then heart rate, if that's something that you look at. Um, and then like the cadence and all these other things as well. Um, and before we kind of dive into like heart rate, cadence, stride length, all those things, I just wanted to quick touch on like the whole effort versus pace thing one more time, just kind of to wrap up this whole subject on, um, which is better. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for both, right? So we want athletes to be able to feel what sort of pace they're running, right? We want them to know the effort scale. So I think for easy runs, it's at like three to five on a 10 scale. Um, If you're talking more of a threshold run, it's gonna feel like a seven or an eight. Like you're not gonna max out on a threshold run. Um, When you're doing those super fast intervals on a track, you may feel more like you're in the 90% range. Um, You're getting closer. And then on race day, you are going to, you know, have the first half of that race be more at 70, 80%, and then you're gonna max out, you're gonna reach that 100% at the finish line. So it's important to know the effort, um, ranges, and that's something to really be conscious and thinking about. But also, you know, as coaches, our, our job is to prescribe training paces that are, you know, within a range for that. So any day that you have your training, you have a pace range. It's not like a very specific pace that you have to hit. Usually there's a range there and it's based on how you're feeling, how the weather is, all of those factors come into play. And so it's really important when you have those pace ranges in front of you to not be super committed to, okay, well, it says 6.45 to 6.30 pace. That means I have to run at least 6.30 pace. What that pace range means is that that's a range. And sometimes you even go outside of those ranges a little bit if it's a great day and the weather is great. Um, sometimes you go on the other end where you're a little slower when it's hot, humid, um, when you're just feeling a little bit more fatigued and that's okay. Um, I don't think, you know, they're not set in stone. It's a little bit more flexible. So it's good to know, um, how workout paces should feel. And it's also good to have those paces and the way that you get the paces for these workouts and all those things is, um, we use the V dot calculator. So this is just looking at a recent race performance that you did. You can plug it in like a 5k time is what we like to use or a two mile time. Um, say what you recently raced at, and then it'll give you training paces. It'll tell you what your easy pace range is, your threshold pace, you know, what sort of interval pace you should be doing um, in your marathon pace, which is more of like a steady state aerobic. Um, so just for example's sake, I plugged in Jason's recent 5K time of like a 16.30 here, um, and it's saying that Jason's easy pace range should be between 6.55 and 7. 37. And I know earlier you just said that you ran at an eight minute pace today. So can you kind of tell me how you dictate your easy pace? Because right here, it's actually saying you should be running 650 to like 730 pace. Um, Do you typically run your easy runs in that range? And how do you just like dictate on that easy day? Because I think that's the one where it can be the most drastically different um, from day to day. Yeah, I... Um, for easy runs, you know, like I said before, I give myself kind of a wider window just because, especially in the summertime, right? It was kind of hot today. I felt some wind, especially on the way back, way back to my house. And then um, I also ran in a hilly neighborhood. So when I factor those in, my times is, are, are naturally going to be a bit slower. Um, yesterday, for example, 
Um, we ran, um, you know, on a flat trail and it was mostly shaded. So I think my average pace was 704 and today it was 807. So you can see over a minute discrepancy there. And all of that is about kind of where I ran, maybe how I felt as well. Um, and maybe today I was a little bit, just maybe a little tired. Uh, yesterday I kind of ran my last two miles a little bit faster because I was feeling good. It was cooler in the morning. So, um, yeah, it's more just again, off feel like today's feel, it was probably just as easy as yesterday. Um, even though it was a minute, minute slower per mile or yesterday was just as easy rather as today, even though it was faster. Um, but you know, and I, I actually don't even look at heart rate really ever. I, I probably could go and look at those runs and, and compare them and see. Um, but yeah, it's more just kind of going off that effort. And like, I, I think like you said that, you know, 50% effort, that's about what I would want 50 to 60. So, um, you know, typically for heart rate too, when we start talking about, um, the zones there. Um, cause I know some people really like to train with heart rate, you know, your easy pace or whatever your easy run, um, percentage of heart rate is probably going to be about like 60 to 75% of your, um, heart rate, um, for easy. And then when you're doing like tempo runs, it's probably going to be about 75 to 85% of your max heart rate. Um, and then intervals can be like that 90 to 95. So, right. Yeah. So the heart rate thing is so, so complex. And I guess, it's interesting listening to you how you say like it's okay for the the pace ranges to be wider. So if you plug something into that V dot calculator, I think it's safe to say your easy pace you can go slower than what it's telling you, but you shouldn't go faster, right? So I'm plugging in my you know five k time I did before getting pregnant. You know it was eighteen fifty five, um, and it's telling me my easy pace seven fifty to eight forty. Now Jason, there are days where seven fifty feels like the easiest thing in the world and I could go 720 pace. What would you say to someone that's like, well, no, I can go way faster than this easy pace range and it still feels easy. Is that like the speed limit? Like you shouldn't go any faster than a certain pace because there does become a point where it's like, okay, you you shouldn't be, you know, you can't just only go off of effort um, on your easy days like you're saying. Well, that's that's what I am saying is that we should go off of effort on easy days, uh, but also set that speed limit. So obviously, um, you know, if I'm truly going to be honest with myself, if I'm going to start running like 640s, it's 630s, I'm going to start to notice like it start it will start to get a little bit harder, um, especially after a few minutes. So you just have to be the best judge of that and make sure you aren't going to aren't going to do that, especially here. You know, I know that as temperatures get cooler, people like to push the pace a little bit on their easy runs. Um, but I'd really challenge you to scale back and save that for your workout days when you're going to be doing your tempo runs. Because like for me, that gray zone between marathon pace and easy pace, it's about a 45 to 50 second window. So I should not really be running between, you know, like six, between 610 and 650, we'll say. I shouldn't really be in that zone um, or in that pace area. So my easy runs, I'm going to make sure that I kind of stop at uh, 650. Um, if I do one mile or two miles, surpass that that's okay on occasion but you definitely don't want your average pace to be in that gray zone so i hope that kind of makes sense i think it's okay every now and then you know if you're feeling good to allow yourself to push into that zone for a mile but you don't want to make a habit of always doing that every single day um so really just making sure that you know maybe maybe you choose a route that's um a little more challenging give yourself some more hills so that you're you're forced to scale it back a bit yeah, that's that's good advice. So 
obviously having the speed limits in place, um, we don't want to go too fast, right? So you want to make sure you're training the appropriate zones, but giving yourself like some grace, like you can go a little slower than the pace, go off of effort and don't like force yourself to run eight minute pace every single day for your easy, easy day. Um, you don't have to run like the fast, fast as possible. Just go off of effort a little bit more. Um, but then diving more into the heart rate stuff. Cause I know you kind of pulled up the little uh, percentages of whatever. So there's different zones. And and I'm not a huge heart rate training fan for a number of reasons, mainly because my personal experience doing heart rate training, um, I, I do look at my I look at my heart rate after the fact. Um, there have been races I have done where I have ran PRs and the 10 mile I've done like, you know, 625 pace. I've done you know, sub 40 in the 10K. And for both of those races, my heart rate apparently, according to my device, um, never reached over 150, which makes no sense to me because I will be on an easy run going, you know, nine minute pace the next day. My heart rate's in the 160s. So it just really, uh, for me, it it never really like was something that seemed reliable. I would rather go more off of effort than um, looking at heart rate because, you know, if you, you finish that race and I saw my heart rate never got higher than 155, I would think, well, I wasn't even trying, but really I had maxed out. Like I couldn't run physically any faster. Um, and the opposite can also be true, right? You can go on an easy run and your heart rate for whatever reason, why is my heart rate like 170 today? <laughs> like I'm going really, really slow. Um, there, there's a number of reasons why, uh, your heart rate may, may be in that higher range. Um, and we'll kind of talk about that, but I think there's just so many variables when you're, when you're talking about heart rate, it is just very, very, um, individual as well. So we have to look at what your max heart rate is in order to calculate all of these zones and even just finding out what your max heart rate is. Uh, that in and of itself is a very difficult task. So most people don't know what their max heart rate is. The 220 minus your age is not usually correct for people. Um, it ends up being like a bell curve, right? So average is 220 minus your age. But if you're on one end of the bell curve, you could be, your max heart rate right now, if you're 30 years old, you could have like a 210 max heart rate. I know mine is close to 210 and I'm almost 30. Um, And so it really just depends on the athlete, right? And so you have to know what your personal max heart rate is in order to get that. You either have to do a max heart rate test um, or you just have to have a lot of data where you can look back and see, okay, what's the highest my heart rate's gotten um, with all these workouts, whatever. Um, and then usually we'll start from there, right? So you have that, that max heart rate, let's say it's like 200. A lot of people have higher max heart rates than 220 minus your age, just from the data that I see on people's garments. So let's say your max heart rate's 200. Um, so there's five zones, right? There's zone one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, zone one is like a joke. No one's, no one's really training in zone one. That's like your pre-warm up sort of zone. I I don't ever really have people work out in zone one. It's just very, very low aerobic, um, maybe like a recovery day. I don't, zone one's not, not that important. Zone two and three are where most of your, you know, easy miles are going to um, zone zone two is usually like the one they're like, yeah, everything has to be in zone two. Um, and I think zone two and three uh, for running. And so that's between 60 to 80% of your max heart rate. So 60 to 80% of your max heart rate. So if, you're, if your heart rate max is 200, 80% of that is going to be that 160. And 
uh, 60% of that is going to be 120. So that's quite the range, right? So in that aerobic zone, it's, that one, it's between 120 and 160 if your max heart rate is 200. Um, so that's just like a huge zone, right? Like that's 40 beats per minute in either direction. Um, and obviously you want to be staying closer to zone two for most of those runs on easy days, but it can fluctuate a little bit. And, and one thing that's difficult about this heart rate training is that there's other things that affect your heart rate, right? So what you ate yesterday, how much you slept, um, if you're getting sick, if you just did caffeine, I don't know what sort of prescriptions people are on, right? These things really affect your heart rate. Um, and for women, it's like what time of the month your cycle is will have a huge impact on your uh, resting heart rate and also your heart rate when you're doing activities. And so you'd hate for someone to be, um, only looking at that heart rate data and assessing how they are feeling or how they are progressing based on that when it can fluctuate so much within um, a training cycle just based on simple things like you got seven hours of sleep instead of nine last night or you drank um, an extra cup of coffee before your run versus no coffee. Um, There's just so many factors involved. And so I I'm not a huge fan um, of the heart rate data. There's also zone four and zone five. Um, and, and for workouts, I, I don't even really tell people um, the heart rate maxes they should be hitting because honestly, sometimes I don't ever even see athletes have their heart rate hit those 90% zones. And like I was saying, on races I've done before, my heart rate has stayed in the aerobic zones for whatever reason, even though I am obviously working in higher zones. Um, so it's, it can be frustrating for people to look at that data and to not see like the feedback that they're wanting to get. Um, and then I think another thing that really pops up a lot. So we obviously will work on pace, heart rate and effort, but when we do throw in that heart rate, typically into an athlete's log, um, we're just going to go based on, you know, that standard zone two or three. And we'll just like, yeah, keep it around like 150 usually, um, athletes will sometimes report on an easy run. I don't know. Have you ever had this where an athlete's like, my heart rate is like 180. I'm an easy run today. Yeah. Yeah. They do say that sometimes. And then they'll sometimes say, but it felt so good. So I'm like, yeah, well then that's what, that's what we want. Cause you know, the heart rate, especially on the wrist, I, I just feel like there's, there's so many factors that can make it just make it not accurate. I was just looking, scrolling through my recent Garmin connect here. Um, you know, I did a 10K tempo the other day at 554 pace and says my average heart rate was 147, which, which is slower or lower than my run from today at 807 pace um, when I was 151. So it's just like, I just feel like there can be, the heart rate can be off a lot, especially if you're relying on the wrist. Now, if you have one of the chest straps, maybe that's more accurate. That's fine. But I just tend to, um, you know, not rely so much on that, especially because of all those factors you had just mentioned, like your sleep, nutrition, caffeine, stress level, all that can affect um, kind of how you're feeling. Uh, warm up beforehand, like, and maybe that's why I did do a warm up before that tempo. So maybe that that helped it stay lower. But and today I didn't warm up; I just kind of went out and ran like four and a half miles. But um, so yeah, there are you know obviously um, a lot of downfalls if you rely solely on heart rate, but it can be used definitely to to gauge things and to look for patterns in your training. Um, another thing that just made me think of was the stride power meter. That's a new thing people are looking at. Um, the little meter that goes on your shoe and then kind of like bikers have power meters on their bikes that can measure their, 
their cadence and all that um, for their pedals. It's the same concept for runners. Um, and it's, I guess, going to factor in your form and your speed and, and elevation for you and wind resistance as well. So it'll kind of give you a number to help you train in the right zone. Um, but so that's if you're really data driven, maybe that's a better option to look into something like that. Otherwise, um, yeah, I'm more off, you know, definitely effort. And then I'd look at pace would be the second go to for me. Right. There's so many factors that go into that heart rate thing. And I just thought it was funny how you, you were saying, you know, you did that 10K tempo in the 550s, your heart rate was 147. Then you do like an easy four mile run today, 810 pace, and your heart rate's like higher. Um, and so I think some of that also has to do with the, the thoughts you're having. And I think sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like I've said, my race day work or my racing heart rate is sometimes lower because I'm like in the zone, right? Like I'm ready, like I'm relaxed, right? Like you're, you're just feeling it, you're vibing. Um, and maybe that's how you were on that 10K. You're just super relaxed. Whereas, you know, on some of these easy runs, man, let me tell you, they are sometimes hard and your, your thoughts sometimes can go in every direction and you're like, gosh, I could be doing so many other things rather than running this right now and all. Like, why does it feel so hard to run so slow? And sometimes I think when you get in that mindset, I think it actually elevates your heart rate even higher. Um, And then even looking down and seeing how slow you're going and how high your heart rate is in comparison, that in and of itself stresses you out and having a stress response elevate your heart rate even more and so I think it's it's almost comical because it can it's just like you're spinning your own wheels at, at some point and like you were saying uh I, I don't always rely or trust that data like sure it could be accurate but you know with the wrist stuff it's very new technology just came out a couple of years ago and when I first got um the first Garmin that has a wrist uh monitor you know back in like 2016 it would interfere with power lines and so anytime I would go under certain um, power lines in my routes, my heart rate, it would tell me I was 212, two um, and it would just stay in, like, the 200s for a while, and I was, like, not even breathing, and I'm like, how is this happening? And I actually thought there was, like, something wrong with me, but uh, obviously there's not, right? So it was just, like, a faulty uh, Garmin thing. So I think just being really cautious about, like, how much you're reading into, into those things, um, and, and all those good, good data points. But like you were talking about the strider, all of the other data. So like cadence and stride length is just another thing I want to touch on really quick before you wrap things up. Because um, this is getting really long. But uh, as, as far as cadence goes, I think the ideal, you know, they say is 180. Um, a lot of people kind of read into that and, and obsess over it, right? So if your cadence isn't 180, um, how can you improve it or should you improve it? Um, is that something that you even look at as a coach? Um, I typically only look at it if the athlete brings it up or, um, you know, let's just say that I'm seeing that they are, um, you know, not in the best headspace uh, with their training. We just want to like maybe like analyze how their running is um, or if they mention anything with form, I might take a look at it too. So, um, but typically, yeah, 180, you know, I just feel like this, this has to do with kind of, your experience with running and like how efficient your body becomes, um, the longer you've been kind of running, I think your body will start to correct itself and, and get um, faster turnover because it's it's mainly about um, how you are landing and then propelling forward and your your stride length can play a role, but I think it's more about just like the landing kind of more on your forefoot and trying to just cycle through 
um, the running gait pattern and then trying to be mindful of like um, maybe speeding up because I think most people have a problem with um, a low cadence. I don't know of any runners who have too high of a cadence, but typically I'll see numbers in like the 140s or 50s and that's just a little bit low. We want to try to work it up more towards you know, 160 to 170 at least would be a good good progress. Um, 180 is ideal. I know I have a few athletes who, through PT, they start discovering like that. Um, that was one reason that maybe contributed to some of their injuries. And so um, along with the PT, they're working on trying to improve their cadence so that they can, you know, get their glutes firing more and get their turnover a little bit more so um, they're landing more on their forefoot. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think one of the the questions that I get a lot on the Instagram that people kind of DM about, uh, it's more about, okay, well, I can't run my easy pace because then my cadence is really bad is what they'll say. So obviously when you're going slower, if your stride length is staying the same, your cadence is going to drop. So I think the biggest thing there is what I've learned that has helped me increase my cadence on the easy days uh, is the shorter steps. So you're going to have to change your stride a little bit when you're running easy um, to keep that cadence in the 180. And so it's going to be like short, choppier steps. Um, we want to shorten that stride length and just make sure we're still like hitting the ground. The uh, frequency is still still high. So it's going to be like shorter steps. It might feel a little bit different to do. There are some drills that you can incorporate to improve on that. But definitely do not use your cadence as an excuse to, oh, got to run faster on my easy days because my cadence isn't good unless I'm running, you know, six minute pace. Um, definitely not the, the case. Uh, you just need to shorten up your stride because um, then, you know, if your cadence is always 180, it's basically your stride length that's changing, right? So with the paces. Um, so if you're, if you're running nine minute pace, you can still have a 180 cadence. That's just going to be a shorter stride. If you're running six minute pace, you can still have that 180 cadence going to have a longer stride. So it's just learning how to open up that stride um, on the fast days and then like shortening it up on the slower days. Um, and that's definitely not an excuse to, you know, go super fast or speed up on your easy days. Um, it will feel weird when you incorporate doing easy running and changing your cadence, um, to the higher, uh, step counts, right. Um, when you're doing like a nine minute pace, it can feel weird. Um, it can feel not natural, but again, it's, it's appropriate and totally normal. And I don't think it's something you should really obsess over. Um, cause over time things just improve when you're training correctly and all those good things. So I hope this was useful. I know we kind of talked a lot of things about effort, heart rate, cadence, all of the good stuff. Um, so basically Garmin's are a great tool, but we definitely don't want to turn into slaves to the paces by any means. We want to have that mind body connection, be able to trust ourselves. Um, and then that's really how you become a really good racer is racing within yourself and not relying so much on the watch, all of those good things. Um, and it all starts with your training. So I hope that you found some of this useful and things you can incorporate into training to really help propel yourself to the next level. If you ever have any questions or you want to work with us, you thought it was really interesting how, you know, we, we work on all three factors of pace, heart rate, and effort zones. Um, we put all three of those into your, your training plan. Um, we would love to get you set up on a free seven day trial. If you fill out the form at our website at runforprs.co. And we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial right away. So thanks for tuning in.